0: You're listening to the Elephant in the Room Property Podcast, where the big things that never get talked about, actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, and co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia. And I'm Chris Bates, financial
1: planner, mortgage broker, and wealth coach. And together, we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property. Veronica will introduce our guest in a moment. And I can tell you you'll want to listen to find out what he has to say about how top agents work both buyers and sellers in many
2: instances and this is my experience and yes sometimes there's a premium right and you get a better price before auction sometimes but I would say in the overwhelming case and probably more so in a current market you're taking it because there's no other buyer and you have to
1: get that deal done or otherwise that thing's not gonna sell please stick around for this week's elephant rider boot camp and we have a cracking Dumbo of the week coming up actually we've got two Before we get started, everything we talk about on this podcast is generally nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking.
0: This week, we're picking the brains of Matt Hasen. Matt is the owner and director of Cobden & Haysen, which has five strategically positioned offices servicing the ultra-competitive inner urban fringe of Sydney. A career spanning over 22 years, Matt has been involved in thousands of real estate transactions and has seen all types of buyer and seller behavioural patterns. One thing I like about you, Matt, is that we don't hear much positive salesy spin from you. I mean, you call it like it is, and if the market's bad, you don't try and dress it up. Have you always been like that?
2: It's funny you should say that because I would like to think of myself as an um, optimistic person, but I think when I look at the real estate industry as a whole, there's that old, that book, you know, When They Zig Zag, and I, I just constantly read stuff which is over-promoting, over-selling, over-sizzling, and quite often I'm looking at that thinking, well, that's not really that relevant to our market and what I'm seeing. So we've always taken a position in the business is to really call it as we see it and be factual around what we're actually Living and breathing on a day-to-day basis, so our customers can make a good, well-informed decision on what we're actually not just seeing, but there's also a sense of the feeling, that sentiment that we're that we're out and about at the coalface of the market at Open Homes. So, I feel that there's a bit of a duty of care to be responsible about what we do, and I think you know you'll attest to it where we are dealing with really you know huge numbers and big transactions and a lot of high emotion. And I don't think that you really necessarily need to add any or inflame that situation when you know conditions aren't necessarily that heated. Um, you know, I'd rather just tell people so that they can make a good call.
1: Yeah.
0: Do you think that's um, well received, or do you think people still like to be fed a little bit of bullshit?
2: Yeah, for sure. I, I've been criticised from different parts, and you know, sometimes clients and stuff like that said, "Oh, gee, you Matt's written something that's a bit heavy." And you know, sometimes it puts our agents in a little bit of a back foot um, position where they, but ultimately they kind of say, "Well, look, that's always been our position," and it's probably why you came to us in the first place because you knew that we're transparent. You knew that there's a level of integrity that we bring to the process, and that's how we've always been. It's not like we move the goalposts, and it's just like, hey, today that just because your property's on the market, we're saying it's not that great. We're, we're actually very consistent. If you look at the the history of 20 years, and I've been writing news articles for 20 years now, yeah. every month, um, and I do a weekly video every week, and I've been doing that every year for almost 10 years. So I, there's a level of consistency to it. And so I guess if you don't like it, you know, use somebody
1: else. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that sometimes negative news makes people respond and take action. Yeah. You know, you might actually be helping your sellers by sometimes even talking negative about the market because buyers are actually responding to it and thinking, I've got more of a chance. So yeah, yeah. You know, I guess there's no real way to right way to do it, I guess.
2: Yeah. I find that that level of communication tends to resonate with the majority of people that are sensible, that want to look at buying as a, okay, look, there will be a part emotion, but they also want to make a sensible decision. I, I feel that what we try to report kind of, hits a tangent with that particular pool of people.
0: you think buyers always make sensible decisions? No,
2: not at all. I don't think any of us do. I'm guilty of that too, you know, whether or not it's car, surfboard for me or anything like that. Like, I, my, my wife won't let me in a surf shop. I'm just, just in and I'll take everything.
0: A <laughs> lot <laughs> safer in a surf shop than um, buying property though, right?
2: <laughs> but it is true. I mean, people can make a, a pretty quick decision. I probably look at surfboard longer than some people buy a house. So. Well,
0: that's a really good point because I'm often astounded at how quickly people make decisions on properties. What surprises you in that?
2: I guess every personality is different, isn't it? Like there's mm. impulsive people that know what they want. You know, they're time poor. They're ready to make decisions. And they might do research from afar too, you know, online um they know what they want you know they know the, the what they don't like in their existing home and when they see something they like they'll make a move in and, and you know kind of go yep this works you know yeah. and for the sake of sparing me the 6 months of research and all the rest of it I'll just make a call on it I quite like that type of person and not just as an agent but <laughs> of <course you> do. <laughs> but, but but no I know I know mean, it sounds like that but they but they but they're matter of fact you know you, yeah. you know they listen to your information they look at the comparables you know they look you in the eye and kind of say look my interest is at this level is that worthy of moving forward and you can kind of say, yeah, yes or no. I find that level of person really, really easy to deal with um, mm. and and probably the best type of buyer. And I feel that quite often they end up getting the best deal because, yep. you know, the agent looks at them and says, well, he's a no-nonsense person because quite often I would say that we'll probably get into this. A lot of buyers kind of think, oh, here we go. I'm going to have to deal with agents. I'm going to have to have my guard up. I'm going to have to, you know, keep my feelings on the property guarded and, and therefore both parties go into this process of like, Well, where do I stand here? And that doesn't really get you very far very quickly. Um, And you don't endear yourself to an agent and the agent doesn't know what to tell their vendor. And so the vendor's kind of got this jaded view of, well, who is this buyer? What games are they playing? And I find that that process actually, you know, really dirties or muddies the the kind of conversation and communication points.
1: And Do you find that there's different type of buyer profiles? Yes. You know, so this is the one that's, I guess, does their own research, get their price, they come to you with a really strong offer, Got the people who are, Obviously, the second one you mentioned there that yeah. don't want to tell you anything, kind of undersharing, hoping for you to figure it all out. I yes. mean, what's some of the other profiles yep. you see with buyers and, and ones that don't get a good result? So we get
2: those really analytical buyers too, right. so very analytical people that will come in well-armed with every report known to man. You know, they'll print off, oh, this CBA report said this, the ANZ Bank report said the property's worth this, and they're like, yeah, well, that's just an algorithm. That doesn't factor in that the owner just spent a million dollars on the renovation. That's just looking at the last sale price and it was a two-bed house. It's yeah. now a four-bed house, <laughs> fully renovated. <Yeah>. Oh, right. <laughs> you know, and 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 so we have to provide them with um, a whole heap of data. But, you know, they're okay. But then you'll get also those, not just a numbers-based person, but you'll also then get somebody that's, you know, really focused on the renovation. What screws did the owner use? How come there's only two frames in the door panel or something like that as opposed to three? And you know, so, you know, so they really pick apart the owner's um, integrity of the renovation and, and things like that. You've got your emotive buyers, which, um, oh, I just love it for the colours, you know, these colours are great. And, you know, that's pretty easy. You can paint it, paint it any colour you like. Um, that's that's an easy fix. But I do t- typically see that people fall into, you know, there's probably four or five, you know, typical kind of buyers that we tend to see.
0: So you haven't named them? You haven't sort of profiled them?
2: Oh, you know, you. Do, I mean, there's Come all on. that NLP stuff <laughs> and there's all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I find that there's a little bit of, of many of those personalities, I mean, obviously there's stronger parts to each personality, but there's a bit of everything, I guess, when it comes to a purchase, particularly if you're not an investor, it doesn't matter how analytical you are, there will always be a bit of emotion that will come through. And, and, and it's amazing even when that buyer comes through well-armed with all of their information and everything like that and you go, yeah, that's all good and well, but someone just offered 200 grand more than you. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, we don't want to lose it, so- gonna park all of that info I've got <laughs> and give you another 50. <laughs> you know? yeah. So that just goes out the window, right? So it's that's the f- interesting thing when I guess it comes to buying something that you really want.
0: Do you think investors more often buy without emotion than with emotion?
2: Not necessarily. I think there's an investor pool that are very specific about the area yep. they want to invest in. Um so that therefore they become emotive because it's like, well, Balmain, for example, is where I want to buy, Surrey Hills is where I want to buy, Paddington's yep. where I want to buy. So there's a limited supply of property. Um, and there's, you know, and probably even a more limited supply when they narrow it down to, look, I want a two-bedroom terrace in a particular street in Paddington, <laughs> you know, so you can't <laughs> yep. help but get emotive about that because there's only going to be so many that become available. So not not necessarily. I think if you're purely an investor that's like, I've got a million dollars to spend and I don't care whether or not it's in Richmond, Victoria or Burke or wherever, what's going to get me the best return um, on that investment that I'm going to hold for five years. And obviously there's all those different, you know, are you looking for yield? Are you looking for capital appreciation? Are you looking for something you can just put in the bottom drawer and not even worry about it? Or are you actually buying an investment that might end up being somewhere for your kids or a holiday home that you can frequent and things like that? But I do think
1: emotion definitely comes into play for a lot of investors. Yeah, and that's what people sometimes think, that you know, home buyers are the only ones that act emotionally. But investors definitely are. You know, they're getting so attached to their dream investment Mm. that, you know, when the one does come along that kind of ticks all the boxes, you know, they overpay for it, for yeah. example, because they're so emotionally attached to, you know, that dream property, which yes. then defeats the whole purpose of buying investment. You're not buying it at a good price, <laughs> yeah. you know, then, yes, yeah. you've got a great property, but you've just spent an extra 200000 on it. Yep. Yeah. Have you got, I guess, different types of sellers that come to you? I mean, you've got ones that just sold. Sure. You know, bought. I mean, how does that kind of affect you and what you do?
2: Same, really. Um, you know, so you've got people that are very focused on process, the sale process, what are you going to do for me? How are you going to engage buyers? What level of marketing is going to be involved? Um, and price becomes secondary for them, I mean, in the rare case. And then you've got people that it r- really legitimately just comes down to, look, you're all the same agents. I don't care who you are. What's your fee? What's your marketing? You know. You just don't do any value. Yeah, just- yeah, no, advo- zero value. Yeah. Um, do
0: you think you're all the same? Uh,
2: do I think we're all the same? <laughs> no, God, no, 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 not at all, like any profession really. mm no, not at all. And, that, and that's the challenging thing, I think, from a buyer's perspective is agents are also very different and that can not just be from Balmain to Surrey Hills, that's like yep. Balmain to Balmain agencies, yes. you know. Yep. So mm-hmm.
0: well, Within an agency. Within
2: an agency, you know. So it, it's not, unfortunately, like you're dealing with McDonald's where there's just a standard, you know, process-driven, this is what you do, this is what you say, and this is what you get. It's really, um, and that's why there's obviously a big separation in the industry where you've probably got the, the top 20% of agencies agents writing 80% of the income yep. and then you've just got this vast, vast amount of other agents that are just in there just, you know, sniping off the remainder. filling seats. Yeah.
0: What do you think is the difference between a top agent then? What are they doing right yep. that the minions, <laughs> the rest aren't?
2: Uh, so many things, right? So, so I, I just from a seller's perspective, you know, they have a yep. very intuit understanding of who the client is, what they're trying to achieve. How, what their timeframe is, what the best marketing strategy will be to achieve that for them, um, how to guide them through the process in terms of, you know, get the house pre- presented, you know, what price guide that they're going to set up, what buyers they are going to invite through. Then from the buyer side, you know, the level of communication they'll have with those buyers, how they're going to engage with them, support those buyers with relevant information from comparable sales to information on the you know product knowledge on the property. And then how they manage those buyers, I think is where a lot of agents fall down. It's you know, I think the top agents just have such a good level of, high level of com- conversation with with each buyer. So every buyer feels empowered to make a good decision. Mm-hmm. So they feel engaged. They feel um, that they're cared for by the agent, that they feel that they've got a very good understanding of where the vendor is potentially sitting um, and some guidance around where they want to do or where potential competition's sitting. And I think once that, you've got that good level of trust and rapport and the barriers are broken down between agent and buyer. It becomes very easy and fluid, that conversation. I think that's what the best agents do very well. And then that way that they can really then formulate and go back and isolate that conversation with the vendor and say, look, Mr and Mrs Vendor, this is exactly where we're at. Here's your top two or three key buyers. Here's where I think they are positioned. Here's what I recommend. Either We can either do a deal prior to auction based on these reasons or I've got three very confident people all at the same price point. My recommendation is to go to auction. Here's our reserve recommendation. And you just, everybody feels very confident in that whole process. I think a lot of agents lack the ability to have tough conversations, um, lack the ability to have good product knowledge, not just on the house, but how to communicate with people effectively, how to read the different behaviours of buyers, um, and then how to read and adapt to the market at any given time.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, and obviously as a buyers agent, I come across so many different types of agents and there are those that have really good conversations and do give it a higher level of confidence in terms of, you know, the buying decision that is involved in that. But specifically, how do you go to influence buyers? Now, And I'm not sort of a, approaching it to say, well, you're manipulating buyers. Mm. At the end of the day, you've got a job to do. But you've got to better influence buyers to do things, take action, you know, yes. be there at auction, you know, do the steps that take. Uh, or undertake those steps to get them at auction for argument's sake or to make an offer. So specifically, do you have influencing strategies or tactics that you, A, use yourself and, B, teach and train your team to use?
2: Without question, yep. So I can tell you right now at the moment, so obviously in the shifting market in Sydney, and I've been saying to our team, and we've been doing this pretty effectively at the moment, our buyers are hearing a lot of negative press about what's going on in the market. You only have to look in the last 24 hours. There's been, you know, Sydney and Melbourne are got to to drop another 5%. So if you're a buyer and you're yep. reading these headlines, I think on Saturday, Domain had something, you know, that prestige property prices were slashed at auction on the weekend. Auction clearance rates are falling. So what we're hearing um, as a buyer, like if I had to put my hat on as a buyer right now, I, and I am, I'm looking for an investment property um, as well and I'm kind of thinking, well.
0: I know a good buyers agent, by the yeah, way. Do
2: yeah, yeah. so they work in, <laughs> up in Byron? That's where I'm heading. But anyway, <laughs> I think to myself, if I was a buyer right now, I'd be thinking, gee, is it the right time to buy? Like even if I saw the right thing. So- what we're doing and speaking about as, as agents and, and, and a company is we're really trying to provide buyers with confidence. So if somebody comes in, we're spending a lot of time with them face-to-face at the open home because we always find that we're most influential when we're seeing them as opposed to trying to get them on the phone on Monday when 10 other agents are ringing them. So if you're a buyer right now, you're getting harassed by agents because if you're active and ready to go yeah, and every agent knows that, they're going to try to push you to any property that's available because we're not dealing with a high or a big depth of buyer pool at present. So at the moment, we're trying to get as much influence face-to-face at the open home. And if somebody says, look, I like it, we'll then start to really drill in and say, look, what are the key things you like about it? And what are, where are the reservations you might have about the property? So somebody might say, look, I, you know, the street doesn't have parking, for example, and I'm not so sure, You know, I've got a nice car and everything like that. So in, in that instance, what we do through the process, right, we'd make a little note to say, look, they're not so sure about the parking. So what we try to do is encourage them to come down and have a look at it at times when there is ample parking on the street. Yeah. Or then we'd reinforce to say, look, so many other people in the street, obviously, all of these properties in the street have sold, and they don't have parking, and they've sold for a lot more than the property that you're looking at. And one of the benefits, I guess, of being in this particular location is you can you actually park and you walk everywhere. So we try to reinforce some of the things. And, um, and then I would find that what we're doing a lot more now is texting people mid-campaign and reinforcing a lot of the good things about the house. Because I think when you come through as a buyer and you're not sure about something, it's very easy to... Magnify why you don't like it, and you forget about all the great things why you were there in the first place. You know we've got great floor plan. It's got high ceilings, or it's got a really nice open plan layout out to the garden, or something like that. So we'd kind of send them a text message to say, look, just sort of let you know. I'm just getting great feedback about um, the the great layout, and reinforce some of those really good positive things, and to say, oh, look, you know, a couple of other buyers have also mentioned that you know the parking's not a big issue in that
1: area
0: using social proof.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you're also trying to become the trusted advisor on the buyer side as well as the seller side yes. because and actually make recommendations in, you know, many different ways rather than just a price. Do you find that's where agents are trying to the good agents are actually going, well, not only do I need to tr- be a trusted advisor for the seller, but if this property doesn't suit a buyer, I'm better off trying to I guess coach them into a better property or find a better property for them. Yep. rather than just trying to get two ends meet.
2: Yeah, for sure, in a more challenging market. And when I say more challenging market, this actually is a normal market. This feels like the market that I grew up with for the first 10 or 15 years of my real estate life. <laughs>
1: um,
2: and it's interesting, you know, there's, there's agents that have built their career over the last five years of an accelerating yeah. market in Sydney, and now this change has come along, and you've seen actually that the, there's a lot of agents now Passing in auctions and things like that, and so they
0: don't know what to do. They do you don't like, know what to do. Yeah. You know, this is a different. Mm. You
2: know, there's a lot of different strategies that you need to employ, not just from the selling side of things, but you're you're right. I mean, you need to to look at the buyers now and really work with them about you know where, where are the challenges, what is it they want, um, and and not be trying to ram this one property down their throat to say, well, look, yeah. that's cool, that's fine. We've got a whole raft of others, um, and you know, this kind of
0: that, well, that's it's interesting too because you said. Well, in a slow market or normal market, as I was taught to say that too, when I got my license. <laughs> it's never a bad market. Yeah. It's either hot or normal. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so in a normal market, the buyers are getting calls from agents. I mean, let's face it, uh, only a year ago, you go out on a Saturday looking at properties and you couldn't get an agent to return your call, let alone having a call back on a Monday. Now we get our phones run hot on a Monday hmm. from everybody that uh, has seen us on a Saturday. So- so now as a buyer, they're going out, they're being pounced upon and courted by every agent around when the agent recognizes that they're a real buyer with actually a pre-approval, mm. <laughs> a pulse and a checkbook. You've talked about what the top agents do and how they communicate with buyers and sellers and manage that whole process. But on a Monday, for instance, how's a good agent getting cut through the noise?
2: I think the the, the really good agents, if you've got the time to do it, is you start servicing buyers with everything that's on the market, not just your own specific listings. And I think yep. buyers really relate to that very well that um and then you and this is this has been going on for a little while i think it happens in the better markets where agents are offering their services to hey look you you you're interested in that auction let me run some numbers for you i know it's not our listing but let me let me give you some impartial advice and let me find, get some intel for you on what we're hearing and seeing in the market and it's not un- uncommon for us to you know th- an auction will be going under the hammer somewhere in our local market and three or four people might say look can you come through and appraise our house we're looking to bid on that so you you're actually part of that process not, not so much as the buyer or seller um, or agent managing it but you, you, you are involved in providing them information that will determine whether or not they might actually go for that property. so
0: and do you do that just for, for any buyer that you happen to be talking to a lot or do you do it mainly for your vendors?
2: No no I for do it, potential I, vendors no, no I do it for a lot of buyers. If somebody came to me and said, look I'm really interested in buying I'm, I'm a bit of a novice I'm either not new in this area or I've only bought one property before. Can you help me understand pricing? aspects, streets, what's good, bad, what do people like, yep. um, and things like that. I would genuinely spend as much time as possible with them to kind of say, I'll brain dump on you for 20 minutes, come in and see us. Yep. Here's what, here's the pitfalls. Here's what I would recommend. Here's what I'd stay away from. Um, I'd do that for anybody. Um, the, th- the funny thing is is I think we've got such a bad rep around as agents yep. that people don't feel confident enough, well, I don't want to go and bare my soul to an mm. agent mm. because he'll know everything about me, and then when the property comes up, he'll use that against me. Which is
0: <laughs> sometimes the case. <laughs> I, well, it is, this is the unfortunate
2: thing because we've got rat yeah. bags in the industry. Mm. Um, yeah. And look, you're know, going to have John Cunningham come on here soon enough, who's been you know, a big pioneer for increasing the standards and professionalism, um, professionalism yeah. of the industry, which is fantastic, but it's still way behind. Mm. But I'd like to think that one day in the not too distant future, we can. Really see us as an industry elevated, and as you rightly say, Chris, you know, as uh, trusted advisors, where people get you in, and, and it's not just about fee. And it's like, you know, we really respect the value you bring to the table.
1: Yeah, one thing that I guess when I'm sitting with clients and we're talking about kind of agents and getting a deal from them, I guess a myth out there that agents don't really push that extra five percent. If they've got a good deal on the table, that's only five percent extra income for them. So why do they you want mean to when get they're taking offers? I mean, at the end of the day, if you've got an offer of a million dollars, it's Pretty much good enough. Maybe you could get a million and twenty-five, but you know, you to, to get that extra twenty-five, you've got to really go around and and fight for that extra twenty-five. I mean, what would be your response to, you know, people selling about agents actually trying to get that best price, even though yep. the the amount of money they actually make isn't actually that much more.
2: Yeah, that's right. Particularly on that, yeah. So twenty-five grand, yeah, it's nothing, yeah. So
1: <laughs> you mean the commission on The commission, grand the commission on
2: twenty-five thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's minimal in the overall scheme of things. Yeah, look, there, there's. That, that's always a difficult one to answer because every circumstance I've found is always very different. Every client's very different. Every um, you know buyer feedback that you get through the course of the campaign can be very different. So a good agent will read the play very well and understand yeah. that the advice that they're providing you is bang on spot and can be counted on when it matters. But then unfortunately, there are unscrupulous agents that'll be just like, look, I could probably push it. Do I need to? There are agents that will just go, look, I'm just, I know that my owner's probably unlikely to take this offer, but hey, Mister, Mrs. Byer, if you put this on a contract, I'll go in and I'll sit with them. And, 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 and I've heard agents use that terminology, I'll go and bang my owners around the head a bit and get this deal done. Mm. It's just our industry, unfortunately. I just don't think you'll ever drive that out.
0: Bit of the path of list resistance in yeah. a way, isn't it? It's yeah. like whoever's going to bend first. So if it happens to be the vendor, then the vendor gets beaten around the head. If it happens to be the buyer, the buyer gets beaten around the head.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I think that's why you need good good representation on both sides. You do. In your market, I would imagine that you often deal with a, a vendor and that same person is also a buyer. Yes. Now, how do people behave? Do they behave differently, I guess, is the question. Yeah. <laughs> when they're selling versus when they're buying.
2: The interesting thing I always find is a vendor, if you're a, you've are you got the both hats on, so we've listed your property for sale um, and they're very resistant to hearing the negative feedback on their own home. Oh, you know, oh, the people don't like that the bathroom's in the wrong position, or the lights not coming in, or whatever it might be. Yet they'll that vendor's like, oh no, oh, look, you know, we're just not talking to the right buyer. It's the right it's the wrong buyer pool coming through. Okay, fine. But then they'll go through and start looking as a buyer, and they will absolutely go to town on every yep. listed property they're looking at as a buyer. And they'll go, oh, gee, that price is overpriced and, gee, I can't believe that they're asking that. That makes that makes our house worth another 200000 if they're quoting that. And so you'd see this kind
1: of um, unusual behaviour.
0: Are you on the same planet?
1: Well, I mean, it's a behavioural bias that we've got. Mm. We basically value things more if we own them, but if you own them, it's not worth that much. Yeah. You yeah. know, so my car's worth $10,000, you only think it's worth eight. It's probably worth nine, but I just want the best price, so I'm overvaluing it. And so when they're got their house and they're thinking about what it's worth, they're comparing it to the market, but they think it's the the number one property in the market. But, you know, it it probably isn't, but they just believe it. And so they want the best price. Which is
0: sort of interesting because I've got a bit of a theory around auction clearance rates. There's so many factors that go into an auction clearance rate. And one is obviously the vendor expectations being met by buyers and so if you've got a situation where you've only got one buyer and they think it's worth 8,000 and the vendor thinks it's worth 10, you've got to get them to meet in the middle and they don't meet in the middle, well then that's going to be a pass in and therefore it's going to be a negative. It's, it's going to contribute to uh, a fall in clearance rates but the reality is a property is still worth what it was worth at outset. It's just that you haven't got competition pushing the forces up to meet each other. I think that that difference is magnified certainly when the market goes back to normal to re- return to that definition
2: of yeah. a slower market. Don't start me on auction clearance rates. I find them disastrous yeah. how people re- rely on that as this vehicle for the success of the market. It's mm. you know, I even look at the weekend gone, I think there was 700 auctions in Sydney and uh, I think it was 429 were results of those 700 was all that was recorded. Right. So so but they come out Banging! Oh, it's a seventy percent clearance rate. It's like, hang on, three hundred sales weren't reported. That's a big portion of your data that's missing. Yeah, it's Um,
0: true. But if they do have the same measurements week in week out, and this and the proportion of non-reports versus reports is consistent, then. It's-
2: there is a barometer that you can use. Yeah, yeah I get yeah, yeah. it. But it's it, it, but it's one indicator. It's one indicator. Yes,
0: exactly. I agree And, and the
2: other thing as well is, and Damo Cool will probably argue with me here, is, you know, I, I still don't understand to this day why a sole prior goes into an auction's success because it- in many instances, <laughs> and this is my experience, mm. and yes, sometimes there's a premium, right, and you get a better price before auction, sometimes. But I would say in the overwhelming case and probably more so in a current market, you're taking it because there's no other buyer and you have to get that deal done, or otherwise that thing's not going to sell. Oh,
0: so man, this is a golden <laughs> elephant in the room. I <laughs> so, love uh, this. The
2: auction is not the mechanism that achieved the the right amount. It's actually the private treaty negotiations beforehand with one buyer. So if you took that one buyer to auction, that's not selling.
0: Or, but hang on, I, this is a good debate because yeah. I agree. I one hundred percent agree with where you're coming from here. But you could say that the auction is the mechanism that created the cloak and dagger.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> Scenario, the smoke and mirrors. Yeah, the, the perception of, for
0: yeah. that buyer to feel the pressure that they had to make an offer. And I know there's a lot of manufactured offers prior to auction at the moment and when I say manufactured, it's their agent recognising there's only one strong buyer or one buyer and they're manufacturing the offer before they get to auction, before that buyer recognises they're the only person interested. So this is really, really important for buyers to understand that this goes on.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I think some of them don't even care because it's the house they want. Yeah. They don't delve into it, I mean, and... You know, as agents, we can skirt around the truth. You know, oh, how many other people are there interested? Oh, it's three or four.
1: <laughs> you know, oh, what are they
2: going to do? Oh, you know, they're, they're mucking around. They want longer settlements. They want all. You know, there's you can string the out conversations. <laughs> yeah, longer settlements. There's all of these conversations that to 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 a buyer who's not savvy and and to be frank, no 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 one's that hard knows that they like that's bullshit. I'm I'm going to hold my position and just hold, even though I love this property and I want to get it. I'm just going to wait and see what happens at auction because y- you're right, the auction does play a role and it just gets closer and closer and closer and it doesn't matter how hard-nosed you are if if your partner or somebody's in the background going, God, just, just get it, you know, this is our, I want my weekends back, it's the house we want, you know.
0: I would call that loss aversion. <laughs> I mean loss that aversion. is that is a bias yeah. that that um, you know we talked about with Simon Russell in episode one, and he talked about during the actual auction how the, how an auctioneer can actually play to somebody's fear of loss. Their fear of the pain of loss is actually greater than their their anticipation of the of the joy of winning. You know, so they they fear that by getting to auction they might actually lose it. So they're prepared to actually spend more money yes. than they probably need to remove in order the risk. To, yeah, take the risk out Not of it. Feel
1: guilty and sad yeah. about. Missing out on that property. Yep. Yeah. I guess buyers sometimes don't know what they're getting themselves into is something called sunk cost bias. So, you know, I guess is it something that, you know, I see that agents would be, you know, just get a building and pest done or just get the contract done or just trying to get buyers to invest in the process a little bit because the more that they invest in the process, the more they don't want to I kind of lose out on the other end. For sure. You find that something that, you know, real estate agents will, will
2: want people yeah, to do? Yeah, look, there's all of those little flags that we look at as a buyer moves through that process to become further engaged in a property. But look, I'm a huge advocate. I love the fact that now most agents, particularly in the better suburbs, are doing everything in advance. So as a consumer, you don't need to invest as much money. And um, and that was a byproduct, obviously, of the heated market where people were spending thousands of dollars on building and pest reports, solicitors to review contracts, only to turn up to the auction and see its sale three or $400,000 above where they were positioned. So- um, so I think it's a good thing now that we're seeing more and more agents um, and sellers where the cost of, uh, of a building report or a strata report um, and do, do all of those things in advance. So as a consumer, you can come in and say, look, I do like it, and we can just provide you with everything straight up. We can. It's a very transparent process. So, but then there's other things. You know, um, I, I, This is an interesting thing I've noticed in the market, whereas previously when the market was heated, we used to be concerned if a buyer was coming back for the third inspection. We'd be like, oh, my God, if they come back for three times, they're out. Right, they're thinking of reasons not to buy when the market's heated. Yeah, you know, like it was kind of one inspection, good, second inspection, yeah, just check everything again. Right, you're in, done. But now we're actually showing buyers through four, five, six times, and that's a positive now. So if they're coming back four, five, six times, buyers are taking the time, they're getting a bit more involved in it, they're getting a bit more engaged, and they're bringing their family in because they've obviously got time now. It's not as heated as it once was. So we're actually seeing it as a positive, and so we're trying to encourage as much as possible private appointments, come back and see it again. I'll show you whenever. So the more times, you know, so there, that's how. That's our barometer of engagement now.
0: That's interesting. There's a couple yep. of biases in that. There's the, the sunk cost, i.e. that they've sunk their own time. They've spent their own time and they've invested their yep. time in that property, but also the reciprocal bias that you spent all your time yep. going yeah. to meet them yeah. outside yeah. hours and,
2: that's right. and what yep. they're going to
0: give you in return.
2: Yeah, and that's, it's a pretty good trigger too to really say to somebody, gee, you're pretty close here. You can have your weekends back now and you don't have to be meeting people like me on a Saturday. <laughs> 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 that's
0: gold. That's gold. I've been loving this conversation because we've been getting such insights into how really sophisticated agents work with buyers. But I would love some of your Dumbo examples, Matt, because every week we hear incredible stories of the dumb things property buyers do, dumb things that end up costing them a lot of money and or creating a lot of stress, mistakes that can be avoided. So please help our listeners here. Give us an example of a property Dumbo because we can all learn from these stories.
2: I've got a couple here. Do you want me to, want me to launch a couple at you? I'll try and keep quick it quick for you. So I'll give you, I'll give you a buying example, right? So, um, and, and you would see this, Veronica, the, the emotional buyer, right? So um, I've got an example of, you know, recently we had a, a buyer who missed a property at auction and uh, there was a fair bit of pressure from his partner, his wife, uh, to get this property and they were the underbidders. They missed it by $1,000, right? So, um, so it was close, right? So it was a lot of tears and everything like that, had their heart set on the property. Anyway, um, after the auction, they were looking at another property as a secondary property, which was also through us. And they, after the auction, they said, Okay, well, we're really disappointed about that. They said, Listen, what's happening with that other property we're looking at? And it's like, Oh, look, it's, you know, this is what's happening. It's still going to auction in a few weeks, and et cetera. We want to buy it. I said, All right, okay. But you, you was should. This on the auction day? On the day of the auction, like uh, half an hour after they just missed the other auction. <laughs> well, we want to buy it.
0: There was suffering.
2: Yeah. And I said, well, do you think that's a wise thing? And I'm like, you know, I'm a salesperson, right, so I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to listen. (laughs) I'm not going to say, no, you can't. You know, I've got a vendor there that's obviously who who pays us. But at the same time, you've got a Mm. humanity side to you. You're like, okay, well, these people are clearly emotional. So I actually said to them, look, Sure, you've been through a couple of times. Yeah, it's still for sale, but, um, you know, do you want to think about it overnight? You've just missed this auction, you know, and and make sure you're making the right decision. Nothing's going to happen tonight. Let me do it. That house is not selling today, right? So it's a Saturday afternoon. It's still going to be here on Monday. If you want to think about it, no, no, we want to buy it now. Okay, well, all right. Well, what do you want to offer? We want to offer over the asking price. Okay, what's your thinking around that? Well, we just want to get it done because we don't want to go through this excruciating process again. Wow. Okay. All right. Awesome. So all right. Okay. Fine, let's do it. So that, that they they bought it, you know, and and you know, there's only so far you can kind of, you know, give them advice around. Do you want to sleep on it? Do you want to think about it? Anyway, they bought it that afternoon. Paid over's, you know, overmarket for it. Certainly paid over where the other buying interest was sitting. Um could have quite comfortably have gone through the process and been at auction and probably bought it for less. Um but, you know, emotion and, still got, it. and still got it. So if you want to talk about
1: Dumbo. I mean, it's that's you know the it's, elephant. That's yeah, the elephant. isn't it? Isn't it? Emotion, the, the elephant. And um, yeah, you know, no matter what they were oh thinking on the God. one minute they're driving in the car to buy one property, and they're driving back in the car, and they bought another one. <laughs> yes. So yeah, they um, still got a bottle of champagne though,
0: <laughs> yeah. and, they, and they avoided loss aversion. Yeah.
1: Yes, that's it. The pain was not worth it. Yeah. But you said you had another one. Let's, I do. Let's look, that. a
2: second one, which is a bit of a hot topic at the moment because unfortunately, look, a large portion of what the business that we're doing at the moment is through separation. Um, and it is sad to see and some of them are quite nasty. So what we see is again, you know, to sum it up as property dumbo is you really see two parties that are at complete loggerheads about what to do with the sale. So you will have one that doesn't want to invest in the sale, just sell it for anything. I don't care. I don't want to see partner A again um, and just get rid of it. And then you've got on the other side, a completely different kind of headspace. Oh, I'm getting X in the settlement if I need to get this with it. So I want to spend all of this money prepping it and doing all these kind of things. So we're getting these conflicting stories about well, what to do. So from an agent's perspective, it's very difficult to t- let the buyer know and we have to try to protect the integrity of the property and the sales. So you can't really disclose to the, the buyers, oh, look, I'm going through this horrendous divorce here and these two people hate each other. And But at the same time, when you get an offer, for example, And they're not agreeing. They're not giving you any feedback or anything like that. You're left in this limbo land of what to tell the buyer. And they've made an offer and you're sitting there going, well, I don't know what to tell this person anymore. And quite commonly, we end up seeing these properties sell prior because there is no agreement on, let's just for the betterment of this property and the betterment of the sale, let's just agree. Let's put our differences aside and focus on right process, right strategy. Let's get down to the core fundamentals of what actually sells a property well. All of that goes out the window, and that's one of the
1: real challenges that we see quite consistently at the
2: moment and some really silly
1: stuff going on. So they're basically saying no to great offers and yep. or selling it maybe emotionally because they emotion- both just want to get yep. rid of it Yep, and so, yep. to early offers. and all, yeah. all
2: sorts of stuff, not investing in the property correctly, not being transparent with the agent, which makes us not being able to transparent with the buyers. So the, the whole process just feels... Just,
1: just so there's an elephant mashing. in the relationship, and yep. that's breaking up. It's just basically controlling their whole. You know what they're trying to do is just get a good price on this. Yeah,
0: it and sounds like there's awesome. no rider on the elephant. It just sounds like the elephant. <laughs> the, the elephant's going in circles. It's, yeah, it's
1: run But <laughs> <laughs> well, We can't, we can't argue with those. those two yeah. great Dumbos. Thanks, yeah, Matt. That's all right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Matt, I have to say that you have really given us some food for thought, and you know, I actually really appreciate too that you've been really, really frank. And that's great and refreshing. And and I know from my own personal experience with you that you are, you know, a different breed to a lot of agents. But we've also had some amazing insights that have been very useful from a buyer's perspective as well. And I think that it's yeah, important definitely. for buyers to understand that there are very good agents out there who, yes, are trying very hard to influence them, but at the same time are actually very good at what they're doing and you need to work with you, uh, Versus. <laughs> that was my biggest
1: takeaway for today is is actually to try to work with the agent from a buyer, you know, to be frank, you know, to, to talk about things and not just feel like you can't share. Um, but be careful, obviously, not to overshare, I imagine, as well. Yeah, thank you, Matt.
2: Yeah, no, pleasure, guys. Yeah, I think one of those parting comments would be that, yeah, a lot, a lot of the times we recognize and, and sometimes we see that a buyer actually wants to buy it, but they. They almost self-sabotage themselves in not trying to get it for whatever reason because they don't trust the agent or they're not sure if it's the right investment because it is a big decision for them. And sometimes our advice is, whilst it is might be perceived as persuasive or guiding, it's kind of like this is the right house for these people. And maybe they don't know it yet, but it is, you know. And I've seen enough of this type of person to recognize they're going to be really happy here. And it is that point after they go through the exchange and they're like, you know what, you're right. Thank, thank, you know, and that's when I guess it's so you get that really nice you know, whether respectful kind of thing. It's like, you, you know what, the advice you gave me was right and we do like this house. And, and you'll talk to them five years later and they're still enjoying it. And that's, I guess, the ability or the quality of actually having a good relationship with an agent as opposed to putting the guards up. Thanks very Excellent. much. Pleasure, guys.
1: We want to make you a better elephant rider. So this week's elephant rider training is how to deal with agents.
0: And the thing that's really important to understand is that they are human beings just like you are. So they will respond to the same sorts of things that you will respond to. So if you are a reasonable person to them, they're going to be reasonable to you, generally speaking. So be well-researched and well-educated. And so then when you actually go in and deal with them, you're coming from a position of knowledge rather than a position of fear or disbelief or lack of trust. At the end of the day, the agent is not sure really whether you're telling them the truth, just like you're not sure they're telling you the truth. So be as reasonable as possible. Obviously, keep some cards to your chest, but don't play games with them. Just be real and you're going to get a better outcome from dealing with an agent that way.
1: So Veronica, what have we added to this week's Elephant Memory Bank?
0: Well, I think it's really appropriate that we should help people choose selling agents. <laughs> I think Matt has uh, clearly articulated in this episode that there's a big difference between good ones and bad ones, and indifferent ones, I guess. So I put together a checklist to help you choose a selling agent. The link is available in the show notes for this episode on theelephantintheroom.com.au. Now, please come back and join us next week where we interview Kate Lumby. Now, Kate is a principal of her own agency with her husband. She's also an auctioneer. And what we're going to find out from Kate is really how buyers are impacted and how they start making decisions about properties before they even walk in the front gate. Now, Kate takes us right back to before she lists a property effectively and all the little things that go into making sure that buyers have emotional responses to that property. Once again, it's an episode not to be missed. Kate lifts the veil on a lot of things that are a bit hidden in this industry and as a buyer, you will learn so much.
1: The Elephant in the Room Property Podcast is recorded at the Sydney Soundbrew. This week's podcast was recorded and edited by Gordy Fletcher.
0: Until next week, don't be a dumbo.
1: Me again. We're looking forward to spending more time with you and uncovering what's really going on in the world of real estate. Please subscribe. Be sure to send us a message, leave an iTunes review and tell your friends.
0: Now remember, everything we talked about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent who will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances with a statement of advice.